All the presenters donating their time and their experience and their words of encouragement to us is a really great thing. And so I just want to take a moment to remind you about um, the use of your, your masks here in the building. Um, also to hold your, your comments and questions to the end. The greatest thing is this is not the last class of the event, so I'm sure you'll be able to connect with our presenter after the class if there's not enough time at the end. But just hold them to the end. Most presenters have a question session. That way they can get through everything they need to. And then, uh, let's see. There's feedback that they're, this is the first year that I've noticed that they're asking for feedback. And so there's these little QR codes, and that feedback is going to be very helpful. So if you take the time to give feedback for the class, that would be good. And so now let me take the time to introduce to you our, our presenter today. Her name is Anna Perea, and she has combined her passion for youth and her gifts as a teacher, nurse, artist, and farmer. And the result is the new Ad Agra Agriculture Curriculum, which she's going to be unveiling here at this conference this year. And she lives with her family on Big Tooth Farm in Texas, and she is excited to see how God will continue to use their family. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to our presenter. Well, it's a privilege to be here with you all. I didn't have to travel very far. How many of you are from Texas? How many of you are not from Texas? Okay, I think I saw hands on both sides. You are, you are. That's a lot that aren't and that are. So we've got a pretty good divided um, group, a good combination. So I I just want to pray that um, what I share with you is a blessing and that we, I mean, Following Mr. Norris in his presentation on propagation, I don't know if you were here for that, but that was amazing, and it just leaves me in awe about how wonderful God is. He can provide food and abundance of everything we need with just the smallest, simplest little cuttings of of a plant. I'm just blown away, and I just want to praise God for his amazing ability in nature and, um, and, and for providing for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, you deserve all the glory. We love you so much. and We're so amazed by your creation. I ask that you be with us right now. May you um, help uh, guide my words so that everything that I'm able to share is um, relevant and uh, important and gives you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as you notice in the title, it says, Berry, berry, berry. At least if you're from the United States, that's how you say it, right? So I'm a nurse, and I was taking care of a patient, an English patient. Kind of sounds like a movie, right? And he goes to me. He says, can you explain something to me? He says, the American English makes no sense. He's like, how can every vowel have the same sound? I'm like, huh? He's like, take, for instance, Barry. He's like, we say... Bari, like the man's name, and we say berry for the fruit, and we say bury if you're going to be buried when you die. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, but you say berry, berry, berry for everything. It's so confusing. And I'm like, well, you haven't been to Texas. <laughs> I was like, because not only do we mispronounce every word, we put the vowels where we want them. I live near a town called Bogota. Bogota is spelled 
B-A-G-O-T-A. So it's not, or it's B-O-A-T-A. I don't even know. <laughs> but anyway, it's totally mispronounced. It's supposed to be Bogota, but we say Bogota. So that's wonderful. But there's some other really mispronounced vowels, like, um, do we say Bob wire? I mean, it's supposed to be barbed wire, but I say bob wire. Uh, how about acorn? That was a new, that's an East Texas thing. I've never heard of an acorn. Do you know what an acorn is? That's an acorn. Yeah. I was pretty amazed by that. How about uh, probably? Probably. I'm probably going to do it. Probably not, but yeah, maybe. Yep, probably instead of probably. How about purdy? That's a really pretty dress you've got on. Yeah, right. Uh, fixin'? I'm fixin' to, or I'm not. Can't. Can't, can't do it. Can't, ain't, won't, nope. <laughs> Gimme, gonna, something. And this was the one, I don't, I've never used it, but bald. Like bald? I want a bald egg. <laughs> so for all of you that um, may have not heard any anything wrong with those mispronunciations, you're probably from Texas, and that's just how you normally speak, and that's, that's wonderful, because that's, when I hear people talking like that, I know that that's hospitality, that's southern greatness, and, and so from all of you from Texas, welcome, and for those that wish they were from Texas, welcome as well. <laughs> and we're going to go on this amazing adventure through Berry, Berry, Berries. So uh, we have got some topics. Um, as a teacher, you know, they always want you to get your objectives out so that kind of your, your brain can follow some kind of <clears throat> order. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're going to be talking about uh, raspberry versus blackberries, the life cycle and when to prune, growing and propagating. So someone had asked um, in the last class if you can propagate um, those cuttings from blackberries, and it's actually very doable, and we'll, we'll go over that. Um, different varieties, pests and diseases, and then creative w- ways to use your berries. Um, so let us dig into that. There we go. So what's the difference? What's the difference between blackberries and raspberries? Can you tell the difference? Do you know which one of those is blackberry? Okay, what's, which one's this one? Raspberry? Okay, that's a black raspberry, and that one's a blackberry. Yeah. What's amazing is that there's so many similarities between raspberries and blackberries, especially the black raspberries and the blackberries. They're almost identical, except maybe for flavor and a few other things, but, um, and the places they grow. But we're going to go over the differences. There's a lot of differences, and there's a lot of similarities. So some of the similarities between blackberries and raspberries, by the way, can everyone see? If you can't, you, just, you might just come over here or, or tell me to move. Am I in your way? Can you see okay? Okay. Uh, so some of the similarities are their life cycle. Um, they've got perennial crowns, meaning that that goes on forever and ever and ever. Uh, and then they have biennial canes, meaning it's a two-year life cycle to be able to produce the berry. We'll go over that in a lot more detail. This is just, again, a brief outline. Um, They have a lot of the same pruning needs um, when it comes to cutting out canes and thinning your rows. Um, They both self-pollinate, sorry, so you don't have to have a male or female plant like you did with the kiwi, I think Mr. Norris said. Um, They have a lot of the same planting needs as far as the soil pH and um, the percolation of the soil, allowing it to filter the water out, no stagnation of the water. 
Um, they're prone to a lot of the same diseases, and that's helpful because then you know you're not like having to think about all these other things that are um, needing to be taken care of when you're growing them together. And they all, they both carry a lot of a, a, a powerful cancer-fighting punch. So they're extremely high in antioxidants. So really good to have on your farm. And then, oops, some of the differences is that they um, grow in different climates. And um, there are some varieties that can go further north or for the raspberries further south. But for the most part, um, blackberries grow better where? And the south, yeah. And raspberries, the north, yeah. And um, let's see, berries, they grow. Oh, the berries themselves, actually, the fruiting shoots grow out of different parts of of the plant. That's really interesting to know, and we'll go over that later. Um, they have different means of regenerating or sending out new plants. Now, they can do both, but there's a preferred method that they use. And also, the receptacle, that's the little, like, you know when you get a raspberry, it's hollow in the middle? The receptacle, that's that little white part, stays on the plant, and the blackberry actually keeps it in the middle. So that's a difference, too. There may be a lot of other differences, but these were the main ones that I see. So, I wanted to let you know, um, this makes more sense when you look at the chill hours that are required for raspberries. Raspberries require 1,000 chill hours a year, and that's why they're better acclimated to the north. If you see that medium green color, you see 1,000, it's pretty much the north part of Texas, Somewhere in there, like the northern part of Texas, and you know, you see the southern, southern states, they don't get that many chill hours, and that's why it's so much harder to grow unless you have a very specific hybrid variety of raspberries. But blackberries typically, all they need is about 300 hours of chill. So it's such a drastic difference, and that's why I, I myself on my farm have planted raspberries three different times, and it failed over and over and over. And just, I didn't have the right variety or the knowledge, really. But it's a lot harder to do raspberries in the south. So those are the similarities and differences. And now we're going to go over the life cycle and when to prune. And sometimes it can get a little confusing, but when you see it on a, on a picture, it makes a lot more sense. And so we're going to kind of go over like a little story. So... We've got our first season and our second season. Remember how I said earlier that it's a biennial life cycle of a, of a cane, the cane part, the top part? So we're going to go over that. First season, in the spring, you'll see flowers on a cane. Does anyone know what those canes are called? Flora canes? Okay, so there's flora canes and there's prima canes. We'll go over that later, too as we're going through. So the first season, you've got one shoot that's got the flowers. That's called the floricane. I guess we're going it over now. The next shoot over there is just the vegetative growth, and that is called the primocane, meaning that's primero, first. It's the first growth, the ones with the flowers. And they come up at the same time. Well, they don't come up. We'll go over that. But uh, this one has, is a remnant. The one with the flowers is a remnant from the previous year. So anyway, in your garden, what you got, you've got two canes, one with the flowers, one without. It's interesting because my dad thought the one without the flowers was just kind of like a sucker plant, and he cut them all down. And then he's like, why am I not getting any blackberries? That's why. Don't cut those down. Those are really important for the next year. 
And so then, as you're moving from spring to summer, those flowers then will turn into your blackberries. And the primocane, the one without any kind of flowers or berries, just keeps growing taller and taller. And then we move into fall and winter. We call those spent canes, or they're done producing their berries. They then turn really woody and die. Um, And then the ones that... Um, just kept growing the leaves they stay dormant over the fall and winter so then in your second season you have then got the 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 primocane has now turned into what the floricane with all the flowers Mm -hmm. and it's ready for the summer to produce berries well you've cut down all those dead woody spent old floricanes and now you've made room for new primocanes to come up And so the life cycle just keeps perpetuating and perpetuating, but it's the two-year life cycle for that one cane. Every year you're going to get blackberries. It's just on what cane does it come on. As long as you don't cut them down, that's right. Just cut the dead, and we'll go over the pruning in a minute. Yeah, in the same year. Now, when you're first starting out and you've got a pot, that's going to be a primocane that you're getting in your pot, and you'll get some berries the following year but then it'll die. What you're trying to establish in that first year is good root system and growth there. Raspberries, this is very similar, right? First season, we've got two different kinds of canes. We've got the floricane with the flowers and the primocane, that's the new growth that's coming up. In the summer, the flowers turn into raspberries and the primocane just keeps growing. Fall and winter, the spent canes are now dead, cut them out, your floricane, excuse me, your primocane stays dormant. In the spring, it switches over now to your floricane, and it produces your berries. And then the new growth comes up that season as your primocane. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I was a little confused when I first learned about this, so I'm glad you've got it. That's the raspberry life cycle. To throw a little twist on it, there are these things called ever-bearing raspberries. Have you heard of those? These are kind of nice if you want a small harvest and you don't have to go worry about going out there and pruning out your old spent floricanes. You can just go with your lawnmower and vroom, just mow them all down. Because with the ever-bearing, when, so let's see, when you've got your, is this it? Did I do it right? Okay, there we go. So this, this is the, let's go with, through the life cycle. You'll see the difference. It kind of looks like the same slide as before, but let's go through the difference. So first season, in the springtime, we've got our floricane and our primocane, right? Okay, we move into the summer. The flowers turn into raspberries, and your primocane just keeps growing. We go into the fall and winter. We cut out our spent old floricanes that have given us our raspberries, and our primocane gives us a little fruit, a little fruit in the fall. And that is what you can harvest. And so when you mow everything down, every fall your new shoots will give you a little harvest on the tips. So if you want a really small harvest or plant a bunch of these ever-bearings, you don't ever have to prune out the old floricanes. You can just mow it down and the new growth always gives you a little harvest. Nothing compared to the second years. If you were to take the time and actually cut out the floricanes the spent floricanes, and leave your primocanes to winter over and actually give you some 
some good raspberries. Then the, the next second season, you'll get an abundance of raspberries. But you can actually, so if you do all the work with the everbearing, you can have two harvests. You can have one in the fall, a small one, and then one your second season. Does that make sense? Oh, it's much bigger, much bigger. The first season on those everbearings, you just get a little bit on the tips. The, the second season, you get them, yeah, you get them all over your plant. Mm-hmm. And we'll go over varieties so you know. I think, I don't know if I differentiated between the everbearing or not, but we'll, I've got notes. All right, so we talked about how the fruit actually comes out of different parts of your plant. If you look on your blackberry, they come out of lateral branches. So I brought a demonstration here. This is some from our farms. And this is a blackberry cane. And these are your lateral um, branches. And from these little nodes on the lateral branch come your berry clusters. So you see right there in the purple blackberries? It's off those lateral sides that you're getting your berries. And so we prune to get nice, big, good berries. We prune back like about, what is that, six inches or so. And then you've got these little nodes, and they get real big clusters. And you don't want them very long because it gets really heavy, and there's a lot of vegetation, and it's, you just, it, and it encourages diseases and stuff. But the raspberries, let's pretend, let's pretend that this is a raspberry. Well, your shoots would just come out, your your fruit would just come out from the sides of it. Does that make sense? Okay, good. All right, so um, we're going to talk a little bit. Um, these are some blackberries, and there's two types of blackberries. There's the trellising blackberry, and these are, these are triple crowns here. We'll, you'll, uh, I'll introduce them a little more later in the slides, but um, these are a semi-trellising, semi-erect. So there's trellising or there's erect. And when you're doing your pruning... You're doing your pruning, um, it's called tip pruning, and you're going to be snipping off the tips of them, all right, in the summertime. Then in the wintertime is when you're doing a different type of pruning. You're doing your lateral pruning, cutting these things off. So you do have to do two types of prunings, um, but it, it's not hard. You need to be out there anyway with your blackberries. Um, but those are the two different types of prunings you're Summer tip pruning and your winter lateral pruning. Now, some, some studies say that it doesn't really make a difference um, if you prune, um, like, out canes in the middle of the summer, like if they're done producing. But other studies, like Cornell, I think, um, it shows that if you wait until these have gone dormant, a lot of the carbohydrates and nutrients can actually go into the root system and help that plant a little better. So we like to do as much pruning as we can in the wintertime. All right. Oh, what did I do? Okay, so here we are. We're still pruning. So I get my little shears out, and I cut those tips off. And this is what happens. So it's really cool because the tips of trees and plants, they have a hormone in them called auxin. And auxin prevents or inhibits lateral growth. 
Does that make sense? So if you're pruning trees, that's real important to know. But when you're pruning uh, blackberries, especially when you want this lateral growth to be really strong, you want to do this tip pruning in the summertime. When you got your first shoots coming up, your primocanes, no flowers on them. They're not your fruiting one. They're your first year's growth. You cut the tips off, and that's tip pruning. And look what happens when you remove that oxen hormone, that inhibiting hormone, look what happens. Bam! This lateral growth just, it just, and I'll show you an actual picture in a minute. But, whoa, you've just got a ton of lateral growth. And that's where your berries are going to come from, so you want to encourage that. And what's interesting, in our farm, there's this little bug called a redneck, of course, because it's from Texas, right? (laughs) A redneck uh, borer. And what it does is it actually does your tip pruning for you. But if you don't come in there and you see those wilted uh, tips and you don't come in there and cut them off, uh, then the little, a little larva will start growing and it'll destroy your cane. So it's kind of a reminder for me, I need to get in there and tip prune right now because that bug's doing it for me and it'll destroy my plant if I don't get a hold of it. So we're going to come along and we're going to cut those about six inches or so, six or eight inches, um, from the main cane. We're going to cut them with our little shears. I brought one here. I just got that at Home Depot. It doesn't really matter so much. I'm not necessarily using these like uh, Mr. Norris's for the propagating, although I kind of am still, but it'd probably be better if you had sharper ones. In any case, so I'm cutting those off like that. And this is all... Actually, this, I shouldn't have put leaves on that because I'm doing that in the winter time. Sorry about that. I'm doing that in the winter time. And if I'm doing all of this pruning beforehand, before the actual season of berry production, I'm going to get, oh, there we go. There's a the winter. That's when I'm cutting them. They lay dormant. And then there's going to be a ton of flowers, ton of flowers. What you're doing the reason pruning is so important, not only the lateral growth, but you're, you're reducing the ratio of vegetation on top of the soil compared to the roots underneath. And when you have that smaller ratio on top compared to the roots underneath, then you have a ton of more nutrients to send up to a smaller amount of vegetation, and then you've got huge berries. So it's very important to prune. There we go. That's a picture of some, I've tip pruned, and look at the lateral growth on that. You see those shoots coming out from the sides? Yeah, it makes a big difference. I don't think I even tip pruned that. I think it just broke off uh, because of the wind or something. But anyway, so now we're going to talk about growing and propagating. And if you have questions, just, uh, do you want me to go back? Will you try and take a picture of that? No? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Um, so the, the question was, thank you. The question was, how tall do you want to keep your, um, when you're doing your tip pruning, how tall do you want your canes to be? And there's variations. Most people are like, well, however tall I am, but, um, it's about three to four feet and we'll show a diagram of that. All right. So here's growing and propagating. So some of these are, can, do you know which flower is raspberry and which one is blueberry, blackberry? Well, anyway, that B is the blackberry one, and the other one is the raspberry. And pollination is so important. It all starts with pollination. 
Um, cane berries are self-fertile, meaning you don't have to have, like we said, male and female plants. Um, but you do, of course, have to have bees or some insect to do the pollinating. You've got the anthers or the male parts with the pollen surrounding, you can see, surrounding the pistils or the female part in the center. And what's amazing, if you've ever looked at a berry, all those little dots on it, or we call, I think they're called druplets, um, they are one, they hold one seed, and so a pollen comes in and fertilizes that one pistil. And so if you want a full berry, um, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of myself or not, you want about 75 to 80 druplets in in a berry. That's a full berry. Now, if you've got pollination... Um, it's, if it's depend, you've got about a hundred and so pistols, so you don't have to have every pistol pollinated, but you need at least, I think, about 85% of it um, pollinated to get a nice big berry. And so for bees to come out and pollinate, you need to have good weather, nice, sunny, warm weather. If it's really cloudy and rainy, then you might not have good berry formation, right? But bees love blackberries, love them. So if you want to uh, have something for your bees or you want to um, get some good honey, um, put some blackberries in there, and they will love them. So there you can see um, on the, I guess that's going to be your left, your right side, the blackberries. You can see that after that pistil is pollinated, then it drops away, and you have your revealed droplets. All right, and they mature a little bit. And right before they really ripen, um, before, I think the last two weeks is when real um, berry growth occurs. So it looks like they're doing nothing like that. And then all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, that just, you think you're getting small berries, and then the mass uh, volume of the berry actually happens right at the end. So we've got all kinds of varieties of raspberries, blackberries. I mean, it's pretty much a blackberry. But raspberries, you've got your reds, you've got your golds or yellows, you've got your blacks, your purples, and then all kinds of colors in between. They're beautiful. If you've ever seen all the raspberries lined up, it's like a rainbow. It's gorgeous. Um, Little side note, raspberries, uh, the red ones, are the most disease-resistant the other ones are really hard to, to work with. Black raspberries are pretty difficult, and they, work, they grow best in the northwest, like in the Oregon area. Yep. Lucky. All right. So let's talk about some transplanting, because we all want to go to our neighbors and cut some stuff out and take it home for free, right? <laughs> so let's talk about transplants. One of the easiest ways is to just dig up, like Mr. Norris was saying, dig up some roots and put, that's what all of these are. These are our triple crowns from our, our farm, and we're donating them to Ad Agris to fund the curriculum. And um, so I just dug up the roots and put them in a pot, and the roots are already established, and that was super easy. Um, for raspberries, we dig up the suckers. For blackberries, um, the tip actually curves down and roots in. I think it's actually this next slide. There we go. Do you see how with blackberries, that's, how, that's their favorite way of reproducing. They just bend over, and it's so amazing that that tip actually will grow roots right down into your ground. And so you can just snip that off. In fact, I have one right here. This is actually the bent over um, portion of the cane that rooted at the bottom. 
Um, I take out to show you the roots, but it'd be really messy. So that's an easy way to transplant. Then you can just cut. Um, a lot of people will cut raspberries this way. They'll cut down low and they'll pull the leaves off, exposing the nodes where the leaves were. Um, because you've ripped them off, there's scar tissue there, and out of every area that there's scar tissue, roots will grow. Isn't that amazing how God designed it? I'm just, I'm just in awe of his ability to keep life going. And so you put it into a moistened pot. Um, they really recommend a gallon pot because you're going to have a lot of growth and you need to make room for it. You don't want to pot up, right? Or you can do cuttings. And what you do is you just make sure you've got some nodes. Let's say I'm going to cut this off right here, this lateral line. I'm just going to cut around a few nodes, um, and I'm going to strip off the leaves. Sorry, I'm showing you on this one over winter, but you're going to strip off the leaves, and then where those leaves were removed, roots are going to grow. You just lay it down laterally, just lay it down flat on your soil, cover it with some soil, a little, well, actually, a little bit of soil, yeah, and then um, these new shoots will grow out. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you're going to do this with your, um, yeah, your green live vegetative state, mm-hmm, not the dormant ones. The dormant ones you can you can dig them up real easy. That then the roots are really nice and established, and then there's not so much shock to your plant. But yeah, that's this is good question. It is during the the summertime you're doing the cuttings. All right, so you're going to cut your little section off. Take those leaves off. I should have taken the stems off too, but you're making scar tissue. You put it in right on top of a pot. It grows roots, and then you've got your plant. Does that make sense? Isn't that amazing? And there's other types of root cuttings. I didn't quite go into that, um, but there's another way too. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, this already has the roots in it, so I just dug it up. It's like a transplant ready. That's, yeah, that's for me the easiest way. Um, I will, if I'm tip pruning, I'm going to take those tips. I'm going to dip them in root hormone, put them in a pot. I don't, I've never need. well, let me back up. I've never actually taken those tips myself and used them. I've watched people do it. Um, so I've, I don't know if it would grow really well without the root hormone. I can't speak to that personally, but um, I've, I've seen people do it on YouTube, so I think you can. You've had better luck without the root hormone. The ones that you used the root hormone on did not grow, and the ones you left it off grew better. That's amazing. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Only the red. Where do you live? Tennessee. So you should have both. Did you have the leaves on top? Oh, that one you would go straight down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> I, I think digging those roots up is the best way, because then you know for sure. What's that? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so trellising your raspberries. This we tried in Colorado. We did a V trellis, and it works really well, especially in your moist environments. Colorado's arid and dry. But in your moister environments, raspberries are their own worst enemy. They just grow and multiply, and all these suckers come up, and it gets really dense, and disease just is prolific, and you got your raspberry row will just die. So the V trellis is really nice. There's the dimensions. Um, it's about two feet at the bottom. You angle your posts to where they're three feet at the top, and you put your lines across because you're going to want to trellis these raspberries out. So your row of raspberries, um, you want to trellis them out so that air can circulate in between. It makes it easier to pick, and um, um, it allows it just to not be there's there to not be so much um, vegetation and foliage. Does that make sense? And then rows of raspberries, you want them about eight feet apart. And that's because if one has a disease, it, can tra- it it's, has a harder time um, transmitting to the other one if they're farther apart. Um, and then there's your answer when you were asking how tall to cut them. Um, raspberries you don't really cut at the tip. Um, blackberries, though, we'll see in the next slide, it's about um, four feet, three to four feet. But that's where you want to put your line is four feet tall. There you go. There's your blackberries. So three to four feet for your line, and that's where you're going to probably cut them. If, if they're, well, you, you've got to go a little higher, right, to actually attach it to the wire. The trellising ones, like these um, triple crowns, you want to have a, a lot longer, and you're just going to train them over because when they bridge over like that bow over, um, those lateral fruiting shoots are going to come out from that. So Here's a picture. Oh, no, not, not, not yet. Did, did everyone get a picture of that? Do you want to go back? Sorry. And of course, you want eight to 10 feet. That's kind of standard between your rows so that disease can't spread so easy. And then spacing between your plants, two to three feet. Sorry, going back about 30 inches. I could say maybe two to three feet for the raspberries too, but they can go a little closer. Got it? Oh, they go too fast. I know these are specifics that are handy. Okay. So some growing tips to summarize um, that section is it's really nice to have nitrogen-rich compost around bloom time. Now, what's really cool is that these triple crowns, I started with one bush. I left, I planted it. I left about five years later. I come back. I have enough. I mean, I had to do a lot of pruning. It took me a good whole day to tame them down. But I had enough to reproduce uh, to form seven rows of about maybe ten, ten uh, blackberries. I mean, they were so prolific. And so, do you know? And the reason I'm mentioning that is, do you know which direction they they migrated to? Not the way I wanted them to go. They went straight for the chicken coop. <laughs> And I'm like, I guess the blackberries know where to get their nitrogen from, right? And so actually all of these are straight out of the chicken coop. So you got a lot of nitrogen in the bottom. <laughs> so nitrogen's really important, especially at bloom time. Um, we want to irrigate well when the berries are producing. That makes real sense, right? Because you want the berries to be full, ripe, juicy berries. And then what's interesting is you still want to irrigate. I didn't do this, and I, I kick myself now, because you want to irrigate even beyond harvesting while, because you've still got your primocanes growing, right? And that's going to be your next year's berries. So you want to keep that irrigation on them to keep that vegetative growth going. Then in September, you want to, you want to cut the irrigation off, allow those berries to go dormant, 
um, so that they can winter down better. But definitely in a hot summer, keep those primocanes watered. Um, oh, there it is. Allow hardening of canes for winter by withholding water. Yep. Um, mulching is really important. That keeps all the weeds down, which um, can prevent airflow and encourage disease. So mulching keeps those weeds down. That's really important. And then this is interesting. Oh, yes, ma'am. Sure. Anything that keeps the weeds down. She asked if we could use some kind of like mulching fabric instead. Yeah, and that's real important. And then um, don't plant them. This is interesting because there's a fungus that will be associated with these vegetables in your garden. Um, it's, it lives in the soil. I have the name here. It's called uh, verticulum fungi. It causes root rot. So don't plant your blackberries or even raspberries near peppers, eggplants, roses, tomatoes, or potatoes. And the encouragement is for like three to five years. It still lives in that soil. So be very, very careful with that. All right, so let's look at some varieties. Let me look at my time because I don't want to go over too much and I'm going to get to the end. Um, varieties of blackberries and uh, raspberries. So there are a few blackberries that will grow in the north. There's Prime Jim and Prime Jane. Jan. Whoops, Prime Jim and Jan. Does anyone live in the north? Have you ever grown these varieties? Heard of them? Okay, I think the University of Oregon or somewhere out there developed these. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, then there's, I guess that's, is that Illini Hardy? Illini? Thank you. Do you. Have you grown those? Or you just know the name? Well, good job. Illini Hardy. And then we've got Doyle. And so it's, it's pretty limited, <clears throat> limited the amount of northern blackberries that can grow. That's the hardiest one. Yes, ma'am. These are all ones that you can buy at the store? Probably in that region. Yeah. In our region, they're wild. Yeah. That's nice. Blackberries everywhere, just naturally growing. We do too here in Texas, and we'll go over that. Good. That's nice. That's very nice. So the Eleni hardy, however you say that, that's the hardiest one. It can go the, the most north, survive the hardest winters of all the blackberries. All right. And now s compare those four with how many are really amazing down here in the south. And you've got the Brazos, the Rossboro, the Womack, the Shawnee, the Choctaw, the Brinson, the Humble, the Arapaho, Navajo, Hole, Triple Crown, and Wild Dewberries. Those are the wild ones. Yes, sir. Like disease resistant? Oh, patented. Yes. Yeah, they're a hybrid um, developed by universities. So a lot of the ones that have the Indian names, those are from the University of Arkansas. Uh, any kind of like um, American Indian name on a, on a tree or a blackberry is probably developed by Arkansas. I don't know if they have some kind of right to the Indian names, but that is nice to know where it comes from. Um, a lot of these, I think the Brazos is one um, that were developed at Texas A&M right here in our state. So. so these do better in the south? Do better in the south. I mean, look how many. Their, their zone is um, pretty much six through nine, um, some a little, little more 
But yeah, so, and they have variations in um, either if it's a, a, a trellising one, erect, if it's firm um, berries for shipping, um, a softer one for like more of pies and things like that. So there's all kinds of characteristics and traits that you can look for. But yeah, you can just see the difference of what grows better here. And here's the triple crown. This is on our farm. And you can see it's, it trellises over and off those lateral growths come the fruit clusters. And they're so good. We only have 20. So come if you really want one early to the booth. Um, we're selling them for $20. It's a little more than what you'd have. You spend 15 to get them at the nursery. But uh, it's to donate towards the curriculum. So it's a little more. But $20. We only have 20 of them. And so we... I love Triple Crown. I actually got it from a a lady off the side of the road in Missouri. It's a newer, I say newer, it's not the newest one. It was, I think, developed in 1997 by the USDA and and another company. And they called it the Triple Crown because it has, I mean, if you're into horse racing, if you're a Triple Crown winner, you're like the prestigious horse of the of the nation well triple crown not only is it a prestigious uh, berry but it it was developed for three specific attributes and that was flavor which it has wonderful flavor productivity you know because I planted one and I ended up with seven rows five years later and then vigor if you look at these this part right here if the wind blew it over well my goodness it just developed this uh, scar tissue around it and kept going. It was, it was, it's very hard to um, actually kill them. So, all right. And then dewberries. Dewberries are so awesome. I mean, I bet a lot of you have um, th- uh, childhood memories of going along the roadside and picking wild dewberries. It's a wild blackberry here in the south. And uh, we, these are our hidden treasures, we don't have to do anything to make them grow. God makes them grow everywhere. And we just look through the weeds and we find them. And my boys love it. It's a family tradition. You can see that's Levi. He's the oldest in the striped. And that's Noah looking in with eager eyes waiting for his turn to eat those blackberries. And then our dog likes them too. <laughs> so they're really, really good. Yep. Okay, and now for the southern, because raspberries, for the chill hour's sake, typically grow more north. Um, the ones that can grow in the south that have been developed are the Allen, Baraberry. I think I'm saying that right. I am from Texas. No, I'm not saying it right. It's Bababerry. Bababerry. Allen, Bababerry, Dorman Red, Heritage. Heritage is, is, kind of grows everywhere, doesn't it? I think in the north, too. Um, polka and red wing, and those can tolerate a um, more southern zone. And the dormant red is kind of your all-around um, movie star, I guess you'd say. It grows the best. I think, don't misquote me, but I think it might have been developed by Texas A&M. If I remember right, I'm just, what was it? It was University of Mississippi? Okay, thank you for correcting me. Yeah, it was somewhere in the south, and so we're really happy to have the Dorman Red. Maybe I should try this variety. I think I had tried Heritage. Not that it didn't do well. I think it was the user error because I planted it in soil that didn't drain very well. So pests and diseases. Um, It gets a little nitty-gritty, but it's important to know. 
um, blackberries. It's called red druplet. It's not a disease. What it is is um, if you've ever got a package of blackberries in the store, you're like, what are all these little red druplets on it? Like, Basically what it is is it when you're cooling it too fast, it's going from hot to cold after harvest, or some um, it'll burst these little inner cells and it causes the coloration to change. So it nothing's wrong with the berry. It's not any less ripe. It's just a little bit damaged by temperature. And so you, when you're harvesting, you want to go very gradual to cold. That makes sense. All right. Then uh, the blackberries also have a thing called white druplet. And white druplet, it can be caused by um, too hot of temperatures um, or excessive wind. It's some kind of damage to the cell um, or a stink bug. And if you look, this is my triple crown later in the season, and the, see the white druplets there? The stink bugs put their little beak in there, and then it turns it white. So I don't think it's necessarily a, um, a disease. It's just a damage. Um, and it's... It's typically non-uniform. It's all over scattered because there's another um, problem with the berries that shows up from the sun, and that's more uniform. It's called uh, sun scalding. But to help prevent that, um, you, need to pre- you need to have some kind of um, shade protection. You can grow your berries in a north-to-south direction in the summer because then you've got sun that just comes overhead and a lot of your sides are shaded. Um, if you do it east to west, one side, wait, am I saying that wrong? North, north to south orientation of rows, so part of the plant is on the shaded side of the house. Okay, that makes sense, right? I, I misquoted, but it is north to south uh, growth, so that when the sun's coming west or east to west, half of the plant gets the sun one part of the day and the other half the next. That makes more sense, right? <laughs> Got it. All right, so that helps. Um, Because they need full sun, it's just not all the time in the hottest part. This is called double berry. Um, It's not a disease, but it's if you're doing market production, um, it's just annoying. But they're pretty cool. They're like little twins. Um, I saw that more in the blackberries than the raspberries. All right. And then this one's called sun scald. So you see those white spots? That's more uniform. You can see it's on one side of the fruit. That's because of the sun. So it needs some protection too. Um, If you want to uh, allow it at least to cool um, for about 15 minutes twice a day, that'll help prevent that. If you have a shade cloth or something, a misting, something to cool it off with, it helps. All right. And then this is anthro anthracnose, anthracnose, Um, and this is a, oh, I didn't write the notes, but anyway, it's a a disease that comes along, and you can tell what it is by the silver spots on the the canes, and it affects the berries, they're kind of like, they dry up around the seeds, and it's kind of crumbly, and I forgot exactly what caused that, I'm sorry about that, but that's one of the diseases you have to look for. Um, Orange rust, this affects both the blackberries and the and the raspberries, and it affects it affects uh, it does not affect the red raspberries. Yeah, so the more sensitive raspberries it affects, and the blackberries as well. And all of these um, molds and diseases they can be reduced greatly, significantly if you do your pruning during the winter time and allow lots of air circulation, lots of water filtration down. Good arid soil, and uh, and keep the other 
um, plants away, like weeds or rotting debris and things like that. Keep it clean. Do your, do your cleanup work in the winter, and you'll not have hardly any of these problems. Gray mold is another one. You can see it grows. Um, molds, they, they spread by spores, and so if you've got plants too close and you're watering overhead, those spore, the, the drop will um, send those spurs fly, spores flying, those mold spores flying all over the, the adjacent or nearby raspberry. So it's, that's why it's important to keep them spaced apart, and definitely your rows 8 to 10 feet apart. Um, and then we have got, did I skip one? I guess it's coming up. A root rot. Do we remember what caused the root rot? If you, that's right. If you plant it next to the peppers, potatoes, eggplants, tomatoes, roses, then you'll, you can get that. And so you just see this beautiful raspberry, and all of a sudden it's just dead. And you're like, what happened? And that's the root rot. You can see the blackberries on this side and the raspberries underneath the, the title there. There's cane blight, there's spur blight, those are in the raspberries. A lot of that's um, winter damage, but it can. So you want to prune out these damaged canes because they can then further develop uh, diseases and it can spread. And here's your redneck cane borer. So what it does, it, ta- it girdles, it, ta- it goes around the circumference of your cane, and it goes on top and it goes on bottom. And right in between is where it lays its nasty little egg, that then turns into a little worm, a little larva, and it'll go down and it'll overwinter in these swellings in the bottom of your canes. And what it'll do, you can tell if you're, if you're, well, when you see it starting to wilt over like that, you go ahead and you cut it down below the girdling spots, the girdling sites, and, and you're fine. That larva doesn't have a chance. But if you don't get it, it'll go down the center, and if you prune later, you'll see a hole and it's because it's traveled all the way down your canes to the bottom. And then as it matures, it'll come out um, at the root area. And then it'll just repeat that life cycle and just kill your, your canes. So when you prune, you probably want to take that out of the, not just cut it down and leave it in the... For sure. Any extra debris, take out of the garden because it's just going to perpetuate disease. Yes, sir? Oh, I thought someone was going to say something. What's that? Burn it. That's a good idea. I like burning things. All right. Now, what's interesting is those swellings of the redneck cane borer can be confused with these um, re- regeneration of, of scar tissue over the, the, the break sites. So if you see a swell, don't just cut that, that berry out. We've got some right here. It looks like, oh, man, that might be a swelling. I don't know uh, if I should just cut that whole cane out or not. That larva could be laying dormant. Well, not only can you tell because you can see the outer layer of tissues just split and this scar tissue is filled in to allow for stability, but you can also look at the tip of your, of your cane because what would be there if it was a cane borer? A hole. Yeah, so don't just chop it out because you see a swell. It could be just regenerative regenerative, uh, whatever, better tissue, new tissue. <laughs> All right, and then what did this? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I just saw that one day in my berries. I'm like, who is doing this? It didn't hurt the, um, the berries themselves, but... Well, it's something that actually ate holes in, and I was hoping someone here might have had this similar situation, but I don't know. I looked online and everything. Well, here's some pests. 
everything seems to like blackberries, so you have a little bit of a challenge. Can you see that beetle right there? Um, that is a, I think it's a, is it a Japanese beetle? I think it's a Japanese beetle, some sort of one, but it's a darker version. It looks just like that blackberry, and you can hardly see it. We have it here in Texas. Then on the hand, you can see the ants. They love berries. And then you've got the stink bugs. That's one of the biggest problems of actual insect predators. They just poke their little, it doesn't matter if the berry's ripe or, or just developing. They just poke their little beaks in there and eat it. But thankfully, um, some praying mantis like to come. There's green winged, what is it? What are the ones? Green lace wings? Green lace wings, I think is what it's called. They, they eat some aphids and things like that. The spiders take up residence. That's a good banana spider there. <laughs> and even the wasps like to come. So if you're harvesting, uh, you've got to watch out for those wasps. One thing to avoid a lot of this is just to harvest early, even if it's not the most plump. Like, you know, vine-ripened berries are like the best, right? But if you harvest them a little early before the bugs notice them, then they can develop, uh, mature a little more, ripen more in your, in your house, right? So don't, don't, I kind of left things on the vine a little too long, hoping that it would just be the biggest, yummiest, juiciest thing, and then a bug came and ate it. Yeah, here's another annoying pest. It's called the spotted wing drosophila, and it doesn't necessarily hurt. He's just, he's a fruit fly. He's a type of fruit fly, and he comes in. He's really small, actually. You can see one right here. Really small. Um, but the thing is, is you see that little larva coming out on your blackberry? They're eating it all up. And if you're selling it for market, nobody wants to eat worms. Although, I have been tempted. If I have waited so long for a big blackberry, a little extra protein won't hurt anyone, right? But don't sell it. I don't think anyone wants you to. <laughs> One way, let's see. Well, never mind. I won't even go there. There was a way to get around that, but it's like cooling it before the larva hatches so that the, the eggs are still in there of the fruit fly, but you cool it quick enough to where the larva can't hatch, and then you sell it real quick. <laughs> and then they eat it, not knowing that it would later turn into a larva. And we're really thankful for frost around here. We don't get the hard, cold uh, snows. Well, we had a little bit this time, but uh, as much as the north to kill all those insects, but Frost really helps, and it's just a reminder um, that this is the time now to start doing your pre-work. It's killed all the insects. It's given you a clean start. Cut out the dead stuff, the messed up stuff. Wintertime is your best friend to get in there and do the pre-work so that you don't have the diseases, you don't have um, the excessive amount of foliage and all that for later in the summertime. Here's some important bigger pests that you got to watch out for. Bears love berries. There's books about bears, children's books about bears and berries. Raccoons love them. Birds love them. Mockingbirds is the state bird of Texas. They love blackberries. You have to have a trade-off. You know, you want your birds there to kill your insects, but not so much that they take all your berries. There were so many berries that you really didn't have to worry much about it. And then that little mouse, we never had him crawl up. At least I didn't think we did. But he just landed right on that blackberry. He's just devouring it. I got that from the Internet. So, And I just wanted to put this in. Oh, to take care of these pests, electricity works really good. If For the raccoon, you put it about 5 to 10 inches off the ground. Psst. Yep, that works great. And the bears, you got to have high voltage. Has anyone ever had a bear problem with berries or a garden? How, did you take care of it with electricity? No, I used 
Oh, he used lead. Did, yep, that works very well. No return. Hey, it lived, and, and your berries are safe, or your garden was safe. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, those, that, loud sh- that loud shot can really scare them away. This was so cool. This was a little hidden treasure. You know, the theme of our um, conference is hidden treasures. And while we were working in the berry patch, we came across, I kept seeing this bird fly in and out of the same spot. And I went over and I looked, and it's called, does anyone know what that little bird's called? Any birders out here? It's a mini version of a meadowlark. It's called a dixisle. They are the most welcome sound on our, on our property. They just tweet and summertime is here. They just sing their little hearts out. And they, um, they will nest on the ground or close, like low shrubs. And their eggs, aren't they so beautiful? Do you notice something in that nest? I, I didn't hear the answer. It's another egg, that's right. Have you heard of the cuckoo? Well, that's not a cuckoo, but it's the same principle. That's this little guy here. Where'd he go? There he is, creeping in. Does anyone know what that bird is? That's a brown-headed cowbird. Sorry. That is a brown-headed cowbird, and it's the mother never builds a nest. She just goes around in every songbird's nest, lays an egg, and the mother, the mother Dixisel, or whatever songbird, doesn't know the difference. She feeds all the babies the same, and what happens? The, the, the cowbird grows bigger, faster, more demanding of food. He knocks all the other chicks out, and he gets to live, and the other ones don't. So they're kind of a nuisance. But so um, we didn't purpose, I wasn't trying to kill the chick. We, it started to hatch, and so the cowbird, so we took it in, and uh, it just never, never hatched. So we saw that problem. Nature solved that problem, right? <laughs> and then the biggest devourers of my blackberries are my boys. But I won't, I won't shoo them away. I won't put up any electrical fences. I'll let them eat. And there's the chicken coop. You can see that's, the blackberries are going straight for it. So that's Levi and Noah, and they love blackberries. And we had tons of blackberries, more than I could even process. So, so creative ways to use blackberries. Um, real quick, I... I made jam out of it, right? Jam's a real quick, easy, fast way. We made ones from the dewberries. I didn't take the seeds out. Mm, it's okay. It's, it's wild and yummy. Um, but the ones, the triple crown jams, did a really good job of setting. We took the seeds out. Those are also for sale over at our booth. To, we donated it for um, at Agra to help raise the money for the curriculum. But you probably have a ton of ways you can use your blackberries. These are just some cool creative ways. You can make some kind of sherbet or ice cream out of Whoops, sherbet or ice cream out of them. Isn't that delicious looking? You can make blackberry teas and lemonades out of them. You can make smoothies out of them. I'm getting hungry. Cobblers and pies and jams. You can put them in your oatmeal. You can put them in uh, grits. Down here in Texas, we like grits. (laughs) You can put them in a, a granola parfait. You can just make a fruit salad out of them. You can make uh, a compote or a syrup out of them to put on your waffles or your pancakes. You can put them in salad. There's this delicious blackberry kale salad that I love. You can put them on pizza. I had never done that or seen that, but that was an interesting way. Yeah. 
And you can actually dehydrate them and make them into a powder. You can add it to flavorings of icings and whatever you want. And a lot of people take that powder and they, um, I guess they put it in capsules and they ingest it that way. But it, it can help fight cancer. There's a lot of research on uh, using raspberries uh, for cancer fighting, especially the black ones. Yep. Lots of antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and things like that. Or you can just eat them straight up, devour them out of, the, <laughs> out of your own hands. He couldn't help himself. He had blackberry all over his face. So I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.